Good morning. So today is the sixth beatitude. You ready to hear the word? All right. All right. Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And then this final one that we're reading today, that we'll be focusing on today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Could we bow our heads for a moment? God, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to experience your grace and your love today. Today, as we reflect on these words of Jesus, may you invade our hearts with light and goodness and love. That you may push all the darkness away from our heart and our life. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I could spend an entire month focusing on just the six Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's been a lot written about this beatitude, thousands and thousands of sermons preached. And, and you can Google it, you can get a commentary, you know, you can read the study notes in the bottom of your Bible and find all kinds of interesting and powerful messages written about this particular beatitude. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to do your own homework. I would encourage you to dig, explore, read, Google, whatever it is you need to do to learn more about this beatitude. But perhaps even better than just listening to a sermon or reading something that someone else has written, I would encourage you to do this. It is just to memorize this beatitude and take blessed are the pure in heart and put it in your heart and just sit with it. And listen, because I'm convinced that you don't need a sermon, you don't need Google, you don't need a, a, a book or the study notes, you don't even need a sermon. You just need to put it here and the words are so fresh and so real and so from the core of teaching, he will speak to you about it in your life if you just carry it with you wherever you go during the week. That's what I did this week. I, I read all about this beatitude, I Googled it, I read the study notes, I listened to sermons. And then after doing that for a couple of days, you know what I did? I just said, oh, that's nice, and I put it over here. And then I just began to pray, God, what is it you want me to hear and to experience from this beatitude today? And this is what I realized. I realized that I have preached this beatitude multiple times, read it multiple times, and I've always focused on the first part of the beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart. What does pure in heart mean? I've focused on that part of the beatitude and completely missed the whole point of it. The punchline in this beatitude is the benefit of the blessing. The pure in heart 
see God. And I began to ask myself, where do I see God? Because when Jesus is talking about seeing God here, he's not talking about what you see when you die. Because for Jesus, the primary message of of his message was God is here now. And everywhere Jesus went, he saw God. He saw God in everyone, everything, everywhere. Because the kingdom is now. You know, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie that God has left this world behind to move to a gated community in heaven's suburbs. (laughs) God has doubled down and moved into our city. Moved into our world. It's the message of the incarnation. But I know, if you're like me, it's hard to see God anywhere. It's easier for me to see where God isn't than it is to see where God is. There's so much negativity to focus on, so much darkness to focus on, so much trouble to focus on, so many little things every day that irritate, agitate us, and cause us anxiety. It's easy to say, where is God in this world? And it's hard just to see. It's just hard to see God. And this occurred to me, this is a thought that occurred to me that was really fresh to me, fresh to me, that it occurred to me that it is really hard to see God anywhere, in anyone, in anything, if my heart is dark and hard and shut down and closed. What the Bible teaches is that we look at the world from the point of view of our heart. The the heart is the center of our emotions and will and our thinking. It's kind of like our window to the world. So whatever is in your heart is going to influence how you see the world. If you have ugliness in your heart, you're going to see ugliness in the world. What's in your heart shapes how you see the world. So you know... When our heart then is broken, when our heart is broken by disappointment, by by disillusionment, by being cheated, by betrayal, by pain, by just think of all the thousand things that happen to your heart. And what happens to your heart when your heart gets broken by any of those things, when your heart gets disillusioned, think about it. What happens? Our hearts, if we're not careful, will grow dark with cynicism. And before long, what was this fresh, open, alive heart becomes a cynical heart. We become suspicious of others. We become, when is the other shoe going to drop? You know, what do they really want from me? Oh yeah, they're just out for this. They're out for themselves. Or our heart becomes a negative. We're already born with a negative bias. And then when our heart gets broken or disappointed, it can become very negative. Or when our hearts are broken by disappointment, we can become filled with resentment or anger or fear. Think about the damage that is done to our hearts by fear and cynicism and distrust, and negativity. Psalm 119.64 says this. I read this this week early in the morning, and I just wish somebody else was there to see me do this little dance around. 
In my heart, I was dancing around. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119.64 that the earth is filled with your love, O God. Let us see. The earth is filled with your love, O God. And when I read that, I thought, I want to see that. I want to see God's love everywhere and everyone and everything. I want to see God in the world. But then I took time to think about it. What's in my heart? Is what's in my heart keeping me from seeing God in the world? Because that's what it'll do. Look at your heart. What has taken over your heart? Has cynicism taken over your heart? Has anger, has fear, has distrust, disappointment, disillusioned, darkened your heart? It is hard to see God anywhere, in anyone, in everything, if your heart has become dark. That's what I love then about this particular beatitude. Because this beatitude is an invitation to introspection. It's a declaration of God's love for us when we open our heart to Him, but it is also an invitation to introspection, to take a real good look at our heart, to say, hey God, here's my heart. Help me see what's in my heart. Because you know what happens, we don't see it. We don't see what's there. We can't see how what's happened over time because it happens so gradually. You know, it's not one thing, it's a bunch of things. And what happens is slowly we become cynical about one thing and then we start turning on everything. Nobody's good. Everybody's terrible. Everybody's bad. They're all out. We begin to get negative about everything. We don't see it until a friend comes up and says to us, we haven't seen in a while, when did you get so cynical? Or your spouse says to you, Gosh, when, you, when we first married, you were so positive. How did you become so negative? How did you become so distrustful? This is an invitation from Jesus. Jesus wants to give us this invitation to open up our hearts so that he can flood it with light, not to condemn us, because he loves us. He doesn't want to shame us. He wants to heal us, not shame us. It's an invitation. One of the great examples in the Bible is the example of King David. You remember King David? King David had this big, open, loving, kind heart. It says that David was chosen to be the king of Israel because he had a heart for God filled with goodness. It was out of that heart that he had the faith to, to stand up to a giant. It was out of that heart that he was able to write all those beautiful psalms expressing love for God. But then we read, as he became an older man, his heart became very, very dark. And he did some very terrible things that wrecked his family and wrecked his own life. And so it was when his life was in shambles, he wrote the 51st Psalm, a psalm of honesty and confession. Now let me put a bracket right here. Okay, put a bracket. Let's go back to that in a second. I want to say this. This is why it's so important if you're a person that's in a position of leadership anywhere, in your job, you're a principal, you're a government official, you've been elected to something, it doesn't matter who you are, but if you're in a position of leadership, it's so important 
that you are continually examining your heart because an unexamined dark heart creates collateral damage. There is no more significant mortal danger to our world than a leader with a dark, dark heart that's unaware of it and then has the power to push buttons and levers that affect the lives of thousands. That's why Jesus says in the scripture that those who are in positions of leadership are held at a higher level of judgment than others because much has been trusted to them. And so as a preacher, I have to continually be asking God to look at my heart. We must rigorously examine our hearts. It's true especially of leaders. And so David here, this leader David, says in his prayer of confession, he goes, God, look at my heart. I've made a mess of my life. I have sinned before you. I have hurt others. God, I don't have the power to change my heart. You created me a clean heart. Then Psalm 139, he says, search my heart and give me a new heart. Now in our culture, this is what we're taught and we're told to believe. It's the gospel of Walt Disney. Walt says, follow your heart. That's terrible advice. Jesus never said, follow your heart. He said, follow me. Don't follow your heart. Follow me. Give me your heart because your heart and my heart has to be led. Because if our hearts are not led, it will sink into darkness and we will not see God in anyone or anything or anywhere. This is a wonderful invitation. And so I, I want to encourage you what's there? What this morning, on this Sunday morning in October, what is the condition of your heart? Can we pray, create in me a clean heart? Can we ask God to search our hearts? Now I'd like to point out to you something about this beatitude that I think is important to be mentioned. Oftentimes, uh, this beatitude is used as a weapon and not a blessing. It's used as a threat instead of a blessing. That word pure has often been used to be preached in this way. Basically, you're not going to see God because you're holding dirty, shameful secrets in your heart. I, I listen to a lot of preaching that preaching that talk about the depravity of human beings, spiritual depravity, that you are a depraved, wicked person. And most of the time when we hear pure, automatically our minds go to sex. Why is it that every Christian, when we read the Bible, we find sex on every page? In the Bible, sex is considered a good and beautiful thing. Mishandled, it destroys people's lives. But what happens is, is that preachers will use this, instead of making it a blessing, they use it as a curse and want to shame people. And I want to tell you, 
Nobody has experienced more abuse at the hands of the church, perhaps, than our gay friends who were created in the image of God to be who they were made to be and then who have been condemned for being who God made them to be by people who want to shame people. It's an abuse. Because Jesus was not a shame dealer. He was a life healer. Uh, This week, uh, Rachel, our communications uh, minister on church, posted on Facebook a welcome statement about our church. You may not have seen it. But we have a welcome statement on our website that basically says, you are welcome at Middletown Christian Church. You can bring your whole self to church. Because we believe that everyone, everyone is created in the image of God. That we're just a group of people learning to love Jesus and love our community. Therefore, we welcome people of every race, every gender, every age, physical and mental ability sexual orientation, economic circumstance, faith background, and political affiliation to fully participate in the life of the church. Therefore, because we believe this, all the sacraments of the church from baptism to ordination to marriage to membership to leadership are open to everyone. And when we say all, we mean all, no asterisks. Now, When she, when she posted that, we post up all the time on, you know, the internet, uh, social media. Within a few hours, over 4,000 people had looked at it. A few hundred people had shared it. I don't know what it is now. It's probably twice that number. I just think it's important that we share the word that we are this kind of church. That we're a church that's for people and not against people. We're a church that's want to acknowledge the goodness in people rather than what's broken in people. We want to affirm the potential and the possibility in people rather than shame people. And it's not that we want people to know about our church. We don't want our church to be known. We want Jesus to be known. We want the one who died for all people to be known. We want to affirm his love. And we don't need to be embarrassed about that. We need to shout it from the mountaintops as our praise team is saying that God is love and light. Dwight Moody is a friend of mine and a mentor. He writes a weekly commentary on religion and news and reviews books called The Meeting House. I had coffee with him this week, and I was talking to him about this sermon, about this beatitude being a weapon or being, you know, an invitation. I said, it's an invitation to it. He looked at me, and he said, this is what we need. He said, he said David, we need, we need preachers with the courage and Christians with the courage who are willing to stand up when something that we've heard in church or something we've heard preached as a, preached, and say, this violates my moral imagination and the courage to say, I'm not going to preach it anymore, I'm not going to teach it anymore, I'm not going to confess it anymore, and I'm going to stand up for love. He said, people need to know it's not too late, David, to protest something that contradicts our sense of what is true and what is beautiful and what is right and good. I like Dwight. So... My granddaughter calls me. She says, Poppy, I need to talk to you. What's wrong? I'm sad. Why? I don't want my mommy to get married. 
My daughter's getting married to the best guy on the universe. God brought Spencer to our daughter. Answer to prayers. My granddaughter likes Spencer. But I said to her, I said, why don't you want your mommy to get married? And she said, because I can't tell mommy my feelings all the time like I used to because mommy wants to spend a lot of time with Spencer. and I don't have all of mommy to me anymore. I remember when, when I got married to my wife, Teresa, Rebecca, my granddaughter's mom, was eight, the same age as my granddaughter was getting a new stepfather, just like me. I remember the same, same story. So I said, let's go get a pizza. We go get a pizza. And we're having this conversation about her feelings. I'm like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> my son never talked about his feelings. He just broke things. I'm looking at her, and I realize I just have her tender little heart in my hands. And I realize how precious a moment that was. And I looked at her, and I said, I said, you know what? I want to, I want to make a promise to you. I will always, always love Your poppy will always love you. And you can always tell me anything that you think and feel. I, I wanted to say to you that that's what God is like. That you can give your heart to God because God is a good, good father. It's who God is. And you can put your heart in his hands and show him your feelings, your cynicism, your darkness, and open your heart to him. So I, I, Teresa was out of town and I was unsupervised and <laughs> I was preparing the sermon and yesterday afternoon, I want to end with this statement. I know we're, I'm a little bit on the lengthy side. Can I end with this statement? This, this is everything to me. Jesus lived with an open and loving heart. Jesus experienced everything that we could possibly experience in life. Betrayal, hurt, pain, sorrow, grief, hatred. He experienced all of it. But Jesus never grew dark in his heart. He never did. He was always open to people. He was always able to see the goodness in other people. From a despised tax collector to a woman who had been hurt by many men. From a leper who had been an outcast to a crazy, demon-possessed man that was filled with wild thoughts and ideas. From a coarse-talking fisherman to anyone and everyone. He could see Jesus, could see, every, could see God everywhere in everyone because his heart was always filled with goodness and light and truth and loving kindness and all those kinds of things. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is if we will just put our heart in his hands, he will, he will love us and he will heal us. And he will allow his light to invade that darkness. And every heart he touches is reborn. Because no one is beyond redemption. Every heart can live again. I sometimes forget what we're about. I think we're about attendance and buildings and grounds. And, and who, what are we going to do with that staff we have? Look at them. But in the end, that's it. It's not about making right. It's about making Jesus known.
about our church opening up our hearts so that we can see God and tell the world that God has not left us behind and that we don't have to leave this world to see him because God is here. Amen?